Can you imagine the level of a mind that watches wrestling? The audience wants to see action, adventure, wrestling, and plenty of it. Big men in tights, you know the drill. Rammer Slammer. Welcome to Rammer Slammer. I'm Ben Flanagan, and we have a treat for you today, especially you Southern fans out there. Specifically, Alabama football, basketball, baseball, whatever athletics fans that you might be. Our guest today is Chris Stewart, the longtime broadcaster, play-by-play man for the basketball team on the radio, same for baseball, and the sideline reporter for the football team, host of the Nick Saban show on television, and a guy who just is a, a jack-of-all-trades as a broadcaster and somebody I'm a big fan of, have a lot of respect for. I think he's one of the better broadcasters, certainly in the SEC and locally that we've had here in Alabama for many years, and I look forward to seeing what he does in the future, whether that's with Alabama athletics or, or whatever. The guy, I think, is just really talented. He talks to us about his favorite wrestling announcers. He's a guy who actually hosts a daily show on Tide 99.1 here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama from 11 to 2 p.m. on 99.1 FM. It's a really fun sports show focusing on Alabama athletics, but he's got something called Wrestling Wednesdays where he makes references to professional wrestling as, as a longtime fan. He plays bumper music, whether that's theme music for pro wrestlers from you know the years that he was a a big fan. His producer, Ryan McMunn, is a big pro wrestling fan, so he supplies him with some good music and talking points when it comes to Wrestling Wednesday, and he's a guy I've just known has been a fan, and so I thought it would be a lot of fun to talk to him about how pro wrestling may have influenced him as a broadcaster, specifically the great announcers throughout the years of professional wrestling, no matter what company it's in, primarily, obviously, WWE and WCW, but you'll find in our conversation that Chris has a pretty extensive knowledge, especially of the Southeastern Territories, and grew up watching wrestling and was familiar with many of the announcers. And he dropped some great tidbits in this interview in terms of his fandom and, and what drew him into professional wrestling as a youngster. He's obviously not watching as much as he's a busy man when it comes to broadcasting for the University of Alabama. But it's a great talk. Chris is a great guy, and we really appreciate him being a part of Rammer Slammer. After my talk with Chris, I'm going to welcome Ben Stark from up in Huntsville. We're going to talk about our favorite pro wrestling announcers and go through our list of who we think were the best on the mic during matches. And and we've got a long list of guys to go through. There's a great history of announcers in professional wrestling. So I hope you enjoy both chats here with Chris Stewart and Ben Stark. And I just want to remind you that we'd love for you, if you dig the show, to go rate and, and write a review on iTunes. If you don't subscribe, on iTunes, just go find us at Rammer Slammer and subscribe and check us out on Facebook. Just search Rammer Slammer. We're there, obviously. We're on Twitter at Rammer Slammer. We appreciate everybody listening. We hope that you can be a part of our online community too if you enjoy the show. And I'm going to leave you now here my talk with Alabama sports broadcaster with the Crimson Tide Sports Network, Chris Stewart. Enjoy. This is Ben Flanagan with Rammer Slammer, and I am so pleased and honored to welcome our guest today, Chris Stewart, the longtime voice of the Crimson Tide, the Alabama basketball team. I believe you've been in that role for more than a decade now, and you're also the play-by-play man for the baseball team, and you do sideline reporting for the football team for the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Chris Stewart, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you having me, and yeah, it's... uh, 
it's been a while now. I just wrapped up my 14th basketball season. I'm uh, still in the midst of 17 years of working on the baseball broadcast and been around ba- the, the football program for off and on for about that same length of time, even though the uh, the role that I have now as the sideline guy and hosting Coach Saban's uh, television show has been for about five seasons now. Wow. So it's safe to say you're a busy guy. Uh, not as busy as my wife, tracking down the kids <laughs> while I'm off playing broadcaster, but yeah, fairly busy. Yeah, and you also host your own daily radio show, too. So, I mean, how do you fit it all in? Again, got a great wife who who lets me play for a living uh, because I refuse to say it's work. That's insulting to people that have real jobs, but it, it does take up some time. And uh, one thing that really does help is, and you know this from we were having just a conversation before we went on air with, with technology and how it has, has changed. My radio show airs in Tuscaloosa, but I live in, in Hoover, and the the ability to do my show from home virtually every day or wherever I happen to be on the road when I'm, when I'm traveling with one of the uh, Alabama teams makes that so much easier. And, you know, you're not having to spend – more of your day or as much of your day maybe traveling to the job as it takes to do it. So that part's very, very helpful. Well, I think, you know, any any of our listeners out there who are diehard wrestling fans are probably scratching their heads, especially the Alabama fans who are familiar with Chris Stewart, the play-by-play man, and wondering, why are we having Chris Stewart on a wrestling <laughs> podcast? And and the, the reason, you know, I know that you're a wrestling fan is because, you know, if Several months ago now, maybe even last year or so, when you started your show on on the Tuscaloosa radio station 99.1, I noticed that you were playing clips of Dusty Rhodes after he had passed away. You played the, the obviously the famous promo that he cut, the Hard Times promo, and you were saying a few words about what Dusty Rhodes meant to you. And then I noticed that you had something that was called Wrestling Wednesday, and you would play wrestling music as bumper music. I, you still do that? Yeah, on the show. sure do. Something I started when I was doing a morning show in, in Tuscaloosa several years ago and just, you know, having some fun. That That's the main thing I try to do. I've always tried to do with shows is just kind of share basically who I am and things that I enjoy and, and hope that the listeners like that as well. But I go with the, the belief, Ben, that if I'm not having a good time, the, there's no way the listener's going to. So uh, I've always enjoyed pro wrestling and and uh, the walk-up music, the intro music for them, we just kind of took that and had a little fun with it. My producer, Ryan McMine, loves pro wrestling and, and actually follows it current day more frequently than I do. But he knows the old school stuff. So, uh, yeah, wrestler theme, wrestler, and you got to say it that way, <laughs> wrestler theme Wednesday uh, on the program is something we do every week and have fun with. Well, so let's go back to those days when you started watching pro wrestling can you recall when it was you started what era it was in and and why you became a pro wrestling fan in the first place i remember as a as a real small kid actually when they used to show it in birmingham and this is a thing that's kind of bizarre i don't remember much about the wrestlers themselves i remember other than one guy's tojo yamamoto (laughs) was was the name of a guy whose name was probably fred jenkins and he probably lived in selma but he was you know, came across and sold as being Japanese star, but they they had a a local uh, local advertiser, and it was uh, it, it was a jewelry store, and the guy's name was Taft Epstein. This is the stuff that you remember when you're little, and again makes no sense. But 
his advertisement, the commercial's different then than they are today. He actually had like a wind-up toy monkey that just played the cymbals over and over again. And the and I, I started watching because as a really, really, really small kid, he was probably not even five years old, I, hey, that, that monkey's kind of cool. And then the wrestling just was almost an afterthought. But But from there... I think it was probably, I don't know, 11, 12 years old, maybe early teens. I started watching it. Uh, Birmingham area would, would show, I think they called it Continental Championship Wrestling. And then you would watch, uh, about the time I got cable in uh, late 70s, early 80s, and we could watch uh, Superstation out of Atlanta. And you you picked up what was then Georgia Championship Wrestling. And I guess that's where I really started watching uh, on a, a regular basis and, and used to do that virtually every Saturday, probably until I was about 13 or 14 years old. And then you find other things to do, but it was, uh, it was a big part of, of what I used to do. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. You, you, you felt there was enough of a storyline you could buy as bite into as a kid, but also realize what, which parts of it became sports and, and which were just entertainment. So who were your guys back then when you were growing up watching? You mentioned the first oh. wrestler that you remember having exposure to, but as you became a fan and you watched, started watching it more frequently, who were your favorite wrestlers? Austin Idol, I remember. Uh, I remember seeing guys like uh, Wildcat Wendell Cooley was uh, another somewhat local southeastern guy. Mike Jackson was somebody that I thought was really cool to watch. He he had some title like junior, uh, world junior heavyweight champion. Even though I'm, I, I don't know what all that encompassed. But Mike, the the part that made it cool to follow Mike is even though he used to jump around the ring, was pretty athletic. You'd watch him on uh, on Georgia Championship Wrestling, and he always, bless his heart, had the unenviable task of going against Ric Flair or uh, any of the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, or somebody like that. He was a good guy that always had to face the really good bad guy. I don't know that I ever saw him win on television, even though he always came in with the junior heavyweight title belt, but he was a Birmingham area guy. I think he coached at Minor Christian School at one point, and he was just a, a local guy, and it was fun to watch, but I thought the fact that it was a, it was a Birmingham guy was a, a cool thing as well, and uh, you know, again, success on a local and regional level was was kind of a neat thing. Today, you mentioned that you don't watch it nearly as frequently. Obviously, you're so busy. And, and I mean, even if somebody's not so busy, it's hard to fit in professional wrestling on a week-to-week basis as much as there is. But do you watch today? Now, do you follow at all any of the, the, the programming or the storylines for that matter? What's your level of interest today? It's not as high, and it's, it's not that I've, don't enjoy it when I do get a chance to watch. But, you know, besides being married, I've got three kids. I've got a 15-year-old daughter. I've got a, um, you know, an 11-year-old son and a 5-year-old son. And also, you know, the the Monday nights that were an absolute must for me for so many years, whether it was watching um, Monday Nitro and then rolling right into to watching Raw and then probably a good bit of my 20s watching, you know, once uh, Nitro, I guess, went away and, and watched just Raw on Monday nights, so much of my Mondays are taken up now uh, over about a 
between the family stuff, but really my Mondays now are a lot with Hey Coach starting in December. I start doing that for, for basketball into baseball. But even during the football season, we started a show called Crimson Tide Rewind that runs on Monday nights as well. So if I want to stay married, you know, coming in after being gone all weekend from doing football or basketball or baseball, then also being gone much of the night to uh, to do another show, and then you know, plopping down on the you know on the couch and saying, "Honey, I'm going to watch wrestling." <laughs> Probably is not going to keep me out of the doghouse very well. Believe me, somebody who doesn't have nearly as busy a schedule as you do around the clock, even without that, convincing your wife that you've got to sit there and watch three hours of wrestling or even five during the week, it doesn't go over extremely no, well. It's part of the – you're trying to tell her, you know, I can get away with it's part of the job with all the other ball games that I watch. That is a different deal. But I will say this. My son that's 11, when he was four, five, and six, we watched, you know, he uh, he was into it. And I don't remember which WrestleMania it was. It's the only time I've ever actually bought the pay-per-view. We watched it. My wife and I were pulling for The Rock, and he he was pulling for John Cena. <laughs> So uh, she's a good woman. She she'll, but you know, even even the best have their limits, and I uh, I know where uh, where the limit is with her. Well, Chris, you know, a big reason I wanted to talk to you about this. I know that you're a fan, but I think you're a phenomenal sports announcer and broadcaster, and I, I can only assume that if you watched wrestling for all of those years, which is obviously a different level of broadcasting and and it certainly takes its creative liberties and it's totally different from real world sports broadcasting i can only assume that you took a little something over the years from the guys the the, the men and women for that matter who are behind the desk and, and have the headsets on and are calling the action is that safe to assume that that you maybe not not maybe, maybe they weren't direct influences or maybe they were but how how have you watched or noticed wrestling broadcasting and announcing throughout the years, and has that played any role in your decision to become an announcer or do anything differently? Well, first of all, I appreciate the kind words about my work, but, uh, you know, I, I do like to look at myself as the Lord Alfred Hayes of uh, play-by-play announcing. No, I just, <laughs> do you even remember him? You're too young to absolutely, remember No, absolutely I do. No, no, no. no. Yeah. He was there. Like, when I started, it was about WrestleMania five. You know, yeah, that era, and he he was still he was still kicking. I'll, I'll tell you what I enjoyed about that, and, and I don't I'm sure the the WWE Network channel has this, and it's it's part of what it's one of those deals. It's kind of like video games. I never have allowed myself to get locked in because I know once I do that there's no coming back from it. And it's the reason I haven't gotten the WWE Network. I know I will <laughs> wind up locked for hours, primarily from that stuff because. There was a show, and, and you may be able to tell me this. There was a show that used to be on the USA Network. It was tied in with back then the WWF when Vince McMahon was was one of the announcers. In addition to being the you know the head of the organization like he is now, but he used to be one of the primary announcers. And they would do a Monday night show. It was before Raw, but they did a show that was almost like a Tonight Show version or a wrestling version of The Tonight Show, maybe is a better way to put it. And it was kind of like a Bugs Bunny cartoon where, you know, they they were trying to play it off straight, 
but there were so many things that if, you know, you could see the behind-the-scenes kind of humor, and what I mean by that is, you know, you cartoons are for kids, but you got to be an adult to really appreciate all the humor for Bugs Bunny. It was kind of that way with this show that they did. They were trying to play it off as, as straight, but Lord Alfred Hayes would get cracked up. Uh, mean Gene Okerlund, Bobby the Brain Heenan owned him. I mean, he would he would say something or do something, and it became a deal where they were trying not to to lose it in the midst of doing the show. <laughs> and if there is something that I've that I really did take from that, um, and I and I guess maybe fits with what I do now, I realized that that sports by and large, and, and especially Alabama sports, it's a it's a business, and fans do take it serious. But at the same time, I hope I never take myself too seriously, and I try to have fun with what I do. Those guys had a good time doing what they were doing. I think you can do both. I think you can be professional in what you're doing, uh, understanding that you're human yourself, you're going to make mistakes, have fun with with what's taking place and, and what you're broadcasting. Is there a play-by-play guy, uh, an announcer, like the, the straight man, as it were? Because you mentioned Bobby the Brain Heenan, and obviously Lord Alfred Hayes and Mean Gene were better known for, for their interviews and like their sideline reporting, I guess you could call right. it, back in the day, or backstage promo work. But like the Gorilla Monsoons, the, the Jim Rosses, the Tony Schiavone's, are there any are there any of those that stick out for you as guys who are you know beyond being wrestling announcers? Yeah. Do you see them as talented broadcasters when it comes to calling play by play action in the ring? Yeah, absolutely. And, and in fact, uh, the guy that I was that I started watching, and I, when I really started following pro wrestling, and it was Georgia Championship Wrestling, and then became World Championship Wrestling, and. I've forgotten the different names, but it all was based out of Atlanta. And Gordon Soley was an absolute legend. I mean, his—I don't—I don't know if the man smoked his cigarettes or not, but he had the voice that gave the sound anyway that he smoked about twelve packs a day. I mean, it was the the deep gravelly. And um, now he always played it off as serious. And it, you know, as a as a kid, you're buying in and going, "This is." This is all 100% real, real life, everything. And he, boy, he sold it in a big way. But the guy that kind of followed him was Tony Schiavone. And the interesting thing is is Tony is now, Tony is, as you may know, uh, once WCW was bought by McMahon's group, Tony worked for about a year for the WWE and, made the decision but for his family that that wasn't where he wanted to be. That didn't really fit him, and he was going to move back to Atlanta and raise his family in Atlanta, and it was a big career move on his part. And he actually does play-by-play now for uh, the Braves AAA squad, but he is, he is, in addition, he is the producer of the Georgia Bulldogs Network, He's the engineer and producer on their radio broadcast, and, and I see him a good bit. He, he works with football as well as, as men's basketball. And in fact, the first time I went over to Stegman Coliseum for an afternoon basketball game on a Saturday in, 
and he was there, and I'd gotten to know Tony just a little bit, but it was my first game over there, and we tipped at like 4 o'clock, so I walk into the building about one thirty or, you know, somewhere in that range, and I, I walked up behind him and slapped him on the back. I said, I feel like I'm 14 years old again. I'm spending a Saturday afternoon with Tony Schiavone because I spent a lot of Saturday afternoons watching pro wrestling with him on the call, but Tony's definitely a guy who uh, who made that transition from being pro wrestling announcer to mainstream sports, but just shows that the guy the guy was and still is very good at what he does. That is amazing. That is a revelation. I had no idea. Yeah, uh, his level of involvement with Georgia football. That's, that's <laughs> unbelievable. In fact, we we were texting each other during what was it 2012 that Alabama and Georgia met in the SEC championship game, that fantastic game that went back and forth. Yeah, it was, because 11, when Alabama won the national title, they didn't go to the championship game because that was the year LSU won the West. So the next year, Alabama was playing Georgia. And you probably recall that was a phenomenal back-and-forth game. And midway through the fourth quarter, knowing that Tony was in the Georgia booth and I'm on the sidelines, I sent him a text. I said, this is... <laughs> this is uh, Dusty versus Rick, <laughs> steel cage, and there's blood flying everywhere. And uh, and I forgot his reply, but it was it was very much in agreement, and it was kind of cool that you know a guy that I watched on TV, as has been the case for me with with so many guys, I've been really fortunate over the years people that I had a chance to follow in sports and got me interested in sports as a kid, whether it was the, the games itself or themselves or the broadcast side of it, people that I grew up watching are now people that I I get to call friends, and that's uh, that's pretty special. That's amazing. You know, I, I'm curious, like, do you think that – I don't know if you've ever thought about doing it. I know it's a far reach, you know, especially in the minds of some people, but I'm guessing – somebody who has experience in sports broadcasting, would, would it be an easy transition for you or even for a pro wrestling announcer to make a transition into sports broadcasting? I mean, I've heard, I've heard, uh, you know, like Jim Ross, for instance, he's been on radio shows before. I think Paul Feinbaum has had him call sports plays from time to yeah. time just to give it the Jim Ross voice. I think Jim Ross has even called real boxing before. Is that something right. that you, could you see a serious crossover First of all, I'm embarrassed that I didn't mention Jr. when you were asking the others because I re- it's one of those deals where it, you, you forget actually how many you have watched. But there's no question he goes he goes on the uh, if there is such a thing the the Mount Rushmore of of announcers for uh, for pro wrestling and a guy that I love watching over the years and miss hearing on a you know on a weekly basis like I used to. But I would think for me anyway. To, to me, it seems it would be easier to go from pro wrestling to mainstream sports than the other way around, and I'll tell you why. For me, you know, the actual, I guess, nuts and bolts, the, the meat and potatoes, the, the fundamentals of calling what you see are, I, w- I would imagine, basically the same, even though I've never really talked to a wrestling announcer about this. I would think that your description of what you see is is pretty much the same. What's what would be different for me though, Ben, is having the same level of excitement and enthusiasm that I 
that I get for a game-winning shot as I would for a match ending because the reality is we know there's a script. Even though the things that transpire to get from point A to, to point B may be extremely athletic accomplishments in pro wrestling, they're great athletes. They really are. But we know that the finish, the end result is scripted. To me, what makes mainstream or real sports so great is that there is no script for it. You know that the ending isn't written until it takes place. And that's where the excitement in the case of your team winning and the absolute disappointment and dejection of your team losing, that would be tough for me to to transfer over to uh, pro wrestling and, and sports entertainment, I guess. Yeah, and so, I mean, in that in that regard, pro wrestling announcers, they're actors, right? Just like the they wrestlers are. are. I, I, I mean, think there is. I, and, I, and there's a skill to that. I'm not downplaying it. No, no, no. It's me, for me, is one of the you know, people are nice enough to pay you a compliment is that I get from a lot of Bama fans. You sound like one of us. You know, and I say, well, it's because I am. You know, I was an Alabama fan long before they started writing the check. And now so much of what I do is tied with winning and losing. You, you develop relationships with coaches and players, and you want them to be successful. So it's not just the name Alabama on the jersey. It's the people wearing them that you get to know and you get to be friends with, and you want to see them have success. And so when when I make a passionate call, whether it's pro or con, it's it's still heartfelt and passionate. There's nothing at all contrived about it. There's no acting. There's there's nothing fake about it. It's from the heart, whether it's a win or a loss. Uh, I don't know that I could make that carry over to something that was truly scripted. That was going to be my follow-up there because, I mean, you are conveying all of the action to folks who who can't see it, right? Like, I mean, right. especially with basketball and, and obviously baseball, and you have to make it exciting for them. And and obviously, you know, it helps to be a fan of, of the product or what you see on the field. And you're in a position where it's it's okay to, to you know, pull for the home team, right, in, in, in the sure. Crimson Tide in this case. And, and like you said, a passionate call is, is genuine. But even, you know, when there's a buzzer beater, when there's something exciting happening, when obviously when you want people to, to stick around, you know, through the break, is there something that you have to put on a little extra or not necessarily even that, but – how, how do you do that? How do you convey something so exciting? Because you're having to sort of represent the moment and represent the right. fans in the house, the people who are listening. How, how does that come across so genuinely where you don't have to put a little something on top of it? Well, I, I don't. that's a great question, and I think my answer for that is I don't hesitate to share my feeling. You know, you have to be very careful what you say. But I don't have to hold back on what I'm feeling. And that's why I say whether it's good or bad. So if you're going to a commercial break and your team is on a roll uh, and there is there is a wave of momentum, then it's it's very easy to, and I feel like it's part of my responsibility when you're doing a broadcast for a team. You know, it's different when you're doing, and I, and I still do a lot of those, where it's not for Alabama. It's it's a neutral broadcast. And so you're playing that down the, the middle, but you still you carry the momentum of the moment, whether it's the momentum of your team or not. You carry 
you you carry the feel of that particular moment into throwing it to the break or in the flow of the game itself, the flow of the broadcast. And that is, again, where if it's fake, I just feel like that comes across that way. But if it's genuine and you're, you're free to kind of go with it, I, I think the listener enjoys it, and I think they appreciate the, the sincerity of whatever it is you're feeling. Well, and, and you've spent, obviously, a lot of time on the road, so you've come across a variety of sports broadcasting figures and sports people in general. And, you know, you, you mentioned before your producer is a big fan, and you guys are obviously not shy about sharing that. You, you have a radio show that has a large audience, and, and you talk about being a fan. And I know that some people, they they hide the fact that they're a pro wrestling fan. And, and you know, if, if you reveal that about yourself, you might get a smirk or a laugh from somebody. And you know, I always think it's interesting when people, especially somebody in your position, isn't scared to share that. But I, I'm curious, in, in your travels and your experience, encountering sports folks, do you find that there are a lot of pro wrestling fans out there? Is it something you can talk to a lot of people and, and who, who perhaps are some individuals who have caught you off guard with their wrestling fandom? I don't know if it's caught off guard, but one that's that's really fun, and it, it was why I dropped the Lord Alfred Hayes reference at the beginning, is uh, Wes Durham is a guy that I've, I, I've been really fortunate to get to know over the years. Uh, who's the play-by-play voice of the Falcons. He did Georgia Tech for about 16 years and Vanderbilt before that, and now he's the, the television voice of ACC broadcast on Fox and or Fox Sports South. And Wes is a great guy who grew up in the South. His dad's Woody Durham, the legendary voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels for 40 years. And so he, he grew up in a, a different part of the South, but still in the South like I did. And he's not... He's only a few years older than I am, about five at the most. And so we, uh, he's taught, told me before about being in, back in the day, being in the Atlanta airport and, you know, running into dusty roads about once a month and, you know, being able to talk with him. And, and we both really enjoyed watching that as kids and still do enjoy the entertainment value of it. Wes may be the guy that, as much as anybody I've enjoyed talking with him about over the years because of him being in Atlanta, getting to know some of those guys and people that, you know, that were so much a part of the the uh, WCW uh, and before that Georgia Championship Wrestling. But, you know, we've uh, we've we've kind of joked about a couple of people before that this guy is to play-by-play announcers, what Lord Alfred Hayes is to uh, – to pro wrestling and I don't know it's just it's fun um you know I, I've looked at it a little bit differently over the last 15 maybe 20 years I don't know if you even remember one of the real national I guess the phrase you would say trendsetter one of the first real national sports talk radio hosts was a female known as the fabulous sports babe I don't even know what her real name was, but that was her name. It was back before ESPN Radio was 24-7, and there were only a few, and she was one of the first. And she had Kevin Nash on with her one day, who, you know, Kevin, a lot of people don't know, played basketball at the University of Tennessee for a while. And she asked him something about pro wrestling being real or fake, and not even so much about that, but injuries that, that come with it. And he goes, you know, pro wrestling is scripted. He goes, but I wouldn't call it fake. 
He said, a receiver goes across the middle of the field to catch a pass. He knows he's going to be hit. That doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt just because he knows he's about to get hit. He said, while we have ways of, you know, in skill of lessening maybe the injury that can occur when you get hit, we still know we're going to get hit in, in pro wrestling. And, I've, you know, I took that. I, that is really kind of an eye-opening deal. Are they hurt as bad as they're selling it? No. But that doesn't mean that, and we've seen it a lot, especially lately with the grind that these guys go through with their schedule and the grief. Those guys are rolling into the injury sports medicine clinic, unfortunately for them, at, at a rate of about once every week or two weeks in, in the high-profile guys because of the injuries that do occur, and they've got to go through the treatment and rehab just like the guy that plays for the Yankees does. So. I don't know that that answered your original question, but there's been a lot of it that in talking with other, I guess, mainstream announcers that we realize, yeah, it's kind of fun to talk about it. We all, virtually all of us in the South, you grew up watching it. I mean, I remember when I started doing baseball with Alabama 17 years ago now, David Crane, who was the, the lead announcer for baseball then and now, of course, is in UAB for several years. When we would go and play Ole Miss, you pick up the Memphis TV station. So that means we're we're watching wrestling on Saturday mornings. We're watching, uh, even though he was still at the big time, Jerry the King Lawler still, I think, is in, is active in the, the Memphis wrestling scene. So we have a good time with it. I'll tell you, part of the reason I think it's the case, Ben, is because the athleticism that's involved is very, very similar to what we follow in, in again, for lack of a better term, real sports every day. But you also get a little bit of a diversion, and there's from from the reality, you get a chance to, to watch kind of the uh, the male soap opera, if you will. That's, that's kind of the way I looked at it. And the storylines, the part that if there is a reason that I don't watch as much besides the family time that takes up the, uh, the viewing time that I used to have, it's that, to me, that used to be 10, 15 years ago, the job the guys did on the mic and the time that was spent there was so good. The Rock, Jericho, Stone Cold, all those guys that you could run through the list of from that era were so good but so funny as well. Even though, you know, not everybody necessarily caught every joke, but so much of it was so entertaining on so many different levels. And, you know, maybe it's getting older, probably is, but I... When I do get a chance to watch, it's not quite as entertaining to me as it used to be. Well, see, and I thought you were going to tell me that Nick Saban was dropping Starcade references between takes on the Nick Saban show. Let me tell you, I don't know who the wrestlers were up in the West Virginia area back in the late 60s, early 70s, but I'd be willing to bet Nick Saban could tell me who they were. (laughs) Well, my last question for you, Chris, in all of your experience, being a broadcaster, a play-by-play guy for Alabama sports, who in Alabama athletics over the years would make the best pro wrestling personality? Ooh, man, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go really, really current on this. You ready? I think it's two guys that immediately pop into my head. Okay, A. Sean Robinson. <laughs> He's got the look. Just he's absolutely got the look. From the time he walked on campus, he looked like a 35-year-old man. <laughs> so Sean, who's 
you know, one of the scariest looking individuals that's that's walked the planet would be outstanding. But Retinobasahan huh. would be phenomenal. Great athlete, freakishly good athlete. <laughs> you know, he could he could play face so easily. You know, the, the Hollywood good looks that he has, the international background that he has, just incredibly articulate. He would be an absolute high flyer of the uh, Jimmy Snuka variety, probably uh, maybe combination of uh, Snuka and Rain Mysterio with his athleticism. How about that? I love it. I love those answers. Chris Stewart from the Crimson Tide Sports Network, amazing that you agreed to do this. I'm honored to talk to you. I'm a big fan of your work. Thanks so much, and, and please keep up the great work. Well, I appreciate you having me, and thanks again for the kind words. So I can do it anytime. This has been Planning It Again with Rammer Slammer, and I am now joined by Ben Stark up in Huntsville. Ben, how's it going? Great. Thanks for having me on. Of course. And I think you're going to be good for this topic. We just got done talking to Chris Stewart, the Alabama play-by-play man, about his interest in wrestling and how wrestling influenced him as a broadcaster and some of his favorite wrestling announcers. And he had some good answers. And it turns out he's actually pals with Tony Schiavone from the WCW days, which blew my mind to learn that (laughs) Tony Schiavone was – not only they were were buds, but that he was involved in, like, Georgia football now and is calling AAA Atlanta Braves minor league games now. And it's just completely away from wrestling, but – that's neither here nor there. I, I want to talk to you a little bit about our favorite pro wrestling announcers throughout the years, and it can be WWE, it can be WCW, it can be whatever. I know you watch Lucha Underground, you watch New Japan Pro Wrestling, and if you want to throw those in there, that's totally fine, and, and uh, this is a free-for-all. But first of all, I, I just want to know from you, what do you typically look for in a wrestling announcer, whether it's the play-by-play man or the color commentary well i will say that for like a match a single match to be great like a plus five stars or whatever i almost i almost don't necessarily need an announcer i think there's been so many great japanese matches that i have no idea what the guys are saying that but and they've still been great but it does always help to have some sort of level of energy there and i think that's probably the number one thing um is just a level of energy to help tell the story of what's going on in the ring. And that almost doesn't even come down to specific words that are used off the top of my head. I'll I'll just say, and this is something maybe a listener can help with in the nineties. I don't even know if it was popularized in the nineties in all Japan wrestling. There were these series of matches between all these different guys and it's all, it's kind of considered the the best, you know, bunch of wrestling matches of all time with uh, Stan Hansen was part of it, but also, uh, Kawada and Masawa and Yun Akiyama uh, and Vader was was up in that mix too. And there was this, I don't know if it was one announcer in particular that would do this or if there was a, you know, if it was just a thing, but whenever a big fat American dude would clothesline a guy, one of the announcers would scream Lariato. Um, and there's actually a really great Twitter, uh, a guy on Twitter with the handle Lariato with like three O's. Um, he's a, he's a really good follow for wrestling fans, but in general, like that's such an iconic part of, of 
that era of Japanese wrestling. And so whoever that guy is would definitely be uh, up there for me just because of that energy and the fact that his his calls transcend transcend language, and I think that's a pretty big deal. Uh, in general, uh, Joey Styles was always a favorite of mine for that same reason, the, the energy that he brought. Even when it was just him by himself in, in the booth, he would tell the stories and he would he would call the, the moves, but you know every now and then you would get his oh my god uh, exclamation and it just it, it just made that company. It's hard to watch a uh, ECW uh, match without enjoying that Joey Styles commentary. So I think that's probably my number one thing. And then uh, after that, it comes just know the moves and and like teach me something. I think is is a, a big part of it. Uh, you know, telling the story and knowing the moves, which is part of the story. You know, if if you don't know what a brain buster is, then then you're you're not really telling me the importance of of why that move is being applied and and what what it changes about the match. And I think that Styles and also Jim Ross, of course, uh, uh, those guys are really really been good at explaining that and and pointing out the. Um, the implications behind certain moves that are applied, and that's that's the fun of it for me. Yeah, you know that's really well stated, and and I totally agree. Energy is probably the big thing. It's interesting that you mentioned the moves because you know you can look back at guys like Gorilla Monsoon and even Vince McMahon, who, who <laughs> would always drop the, drop terms like maneuver and and call out the moves by name. You know that it, it and you you always wondered growing up like. How do they know all this? How do they know what each individual move is? Where where did they learn this glossary of wrestling maneuvers? And, and it's just a great teaching mechanism for viewers. And, and like you said, it needs to teach you something. And that that is what I always loved about the, the commentary is that I learned terms like that. And it helped build my personal knowledge of, of the way things were done then. And, and, and now, like when, when it, if and when, Somebody like Michael Cole calls, you know, a move. I know that. I know what that move is. Or even if he doesn't say it, I know what it is. And perhaps I wish he would have said it. And he's a guy that doesn't, you know, typically name them the way that those guys did back in the day. But, you know, before we go on here, what do you think about the current desk? Like the current run of of commentators that – Monday Night Raw has. And, and SmackDown obviously recently introduced Mauro Ranallo, and he has changed the dynamic of that show and, and could be the future of WWE. But Michael Cole has been the lead commentator, the lead play-by-play guy, since 2009 now, ever since Jim Ross left the desk. And, you know, I know that there are a lot of harsh critics of, of Michael Cole out there, I think he's good. I think he's a good broadcaster. I think he's he, he's good at what Vince McMahon obviously wants him to do in terms of how he represents the identity of the company. And I think that's what the commentators, especially the play-by-play guys, have have done throughout the years. You know, you look at the different eras, and you have Gorilla Monsoon, this sort of classy, old-school, sport, wide world of sports type play-by-play call from the '80s era. You've got Vince McMahon sort of ushering in perhaps a preview of the PG era, pre-Attitude era, and it was very straight-laced and, and cookie-cutter, but he, I thought, was very talented. Then you move into the Attitude era, and, and Jim Ross certainly helped carve out that identity and, and was really sort of the voice of the Attitude era. And now you've got Michael Cole, again, 
reverting back to that sort of straight-laced PG era thing where they don't really, there's not much of an edge to it at all, even though he has been somebody who has played a character and has himself as a, as a commentator had a gimmick, you know, and, and played bad guy commentator, which is something different that they tried that obviously didn't go over well enough to, to you know, satisfy satisfy the customers, as it were, to keep going. And now he's sort of back to that same role that, you know, where back to where he started as, as a just straight man commentator. So, what do you think about the, the, the current Raw trio in Michael Cole, JBL, and Byron Saxton? I mean, looking at it as a whole of just the, the, the Raw and pay-per-view teams, without looking at the individual players, it is absolutely atrocious. And if I, if, if I watch um, Raw or um, a pay-per-view, I'll, I'll catch myself just turning down the volume or watching it on mute if, if I really want to get into the match. Um, they do a decent job of telling you what's going on, but the, the interplay between them is some of the worst dialogue between human beings you'll ever hear in your entire life, and it's embarrassing. And it's one of those things where if my wife is in the room and I'm watching it, I, I feel so self-conscious, and I feel like turning it off just because I'm not embarrassed by what's going on on the screen. I'm embarrassed by what they're by the banter. And I hate to even call it banter because that 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 infers like a you know a 1930s screwball comedy kind of um, back and forth dialogue, and that's so far from what we get here. Now, looking at them individually, I think that um, that Michael Cole, like you said, has had some really strong points. I think last year he called the Beast in the East special on the network, and it was. Really great. He was calling moves. He was. It was just like a, a real sports broadcast. And it was fantastic. And he had a run with Taz in the early 2000s on SmackDown. That was fan, that was great. It's one of my favorite pairings of all time. Uh, which you would is kind of weird because individually those guys aren't necessarily the strongest commentators, but they had a great um, they had a great chemistry. And whatever direction they were given from the back was was good. I think that's the problem now is that there's so much emphasis on brand that the individual matches are so unimportant and the announcers heighten that problem. But I think really the, the one of the big issues is JBL. I think he is – I think it's easy to see why he would be good for that spot because he's such a good, hateable bad guy um, and was, was that when he was a, a wrestler – and he's apparently very happy to tow whatever company line uh, you know that, that they throw at him. But I think that uh, I don't know. Maybe I've read too many rumors about JBL just not being a, a great guy. But also, he's a, <laughs> and I hesitate to use this term because it's 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 used as a joke quite quite often effectively. But he's a mark for himself, man. Like he, if he's supposed to be the bad guy, he doesn't always play that. Like sometimes he talks about how strong John Cena is and how impressive John Cena is. And then all of a sudden he's on the bad guy's side and he's, he's defending him. And then the way that he treats Byron Saxton and the way he bullies him is just, uh, it's just so awkward and, uh, and frustrating. And it doesn't, it's not doing anything for anybody, you know, and it's, it's bringing down the show and it makes Byron look like an amateur and it, and it distracts from whatever actual work Michael Cole was trying to do. So, I get what they're doing. They're trying to keep up the tradition of the heel commenter, commentator, but I think that Corey Graves does such a better job of that in NXT. And I think a teaming of Michael Cole and, and Corey Graves would be really great. I also think the three-man announced team 
which was also popular in WCW and was always, it was, WCW is also a mess because you had Tony Schiavone trying to play the straight man and then you had goons around him screaming at each other, even if one of them was the great Bobby Heenan. So I think the three-man booth is pro- part of the problem, but I think the real the real problem is, is JBL and the fact that he's not on a leash. No, I agree, and I think the chemistry is really weird in Milwaukee, when, when, especially when you've got Michael Cole and Byron Saxton, who are essentially one and the same. Michael, they're, they're both the straight man, and, and maybe they're grooming Byron Saxton to take over for Michael Cole one day. I, I don't necessarily foresee that happening anytime soon. But like you said, JBL, he's just too much of a like weird, uh, undefinable tweener, you know, where it's just like, is he a bad guy? I, you know, most of the time it seems like he is, but then he starts like really pushing the good guy storyline and cheering that person on in, in a respective match, and it just gets confusing, and, and there's no clear line between the three guys. And, and like you said, the, the three-man setup is the problem. Like you, I think that it's just, it's clear you've got to go two uh, at a time, and, and that's when the, that, that's where we've seen the best teams of the past, and we can get into it now in terms of our favorites, you know, our favorite commentating teams, our favorite individual commentators, but for me it's always been the two-man thing. Again, I go back to Vince McMahon. I, I think Vince McMahon is an underrated commentator, a great play-by-play guy, and he always set up great lines for the bad guy commentators, especially – Jerry Lawler, I think those. I think that was back when Jerry Lawler was really good, and and they're going back to that now. They're sort of trying to find that bad guy niche for him again after years as a good guy, and I think that's good. I think they need that. That's that's old school, and I think he's currently playing off of Mauro Ranallo a little better than than he did at first, and and there's less confusion, and it tells a better story, and it gets you inside the heads of the wrestlers, and and gets you inside. You know, it plays both sides of the storyline and helps you see the angles of of each of uh, the the men and women in the ring. So, I think just strictly from a fundamental storytelling standpoint, that's that's your best helper. So, who are your favorites? Because you know, I've got a list of of you know guys here that to me are the gold standard in in the business. But there have been several really good ones. And again, I think that. The current guys have talent. I just think that, like you said, the the emphasis on the brand and to play it as clean as possible without compromising that brand it has really hurt the commentating of WWE right now. And I just wish that they would take more chances and 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 do it. And uh, you know, and, and again, it's hindsight's twenty twenty in that, or not really. It's kind of a, it's a nostalgic thing for us where. You know what we grew up with is great. It's kind of like the SNL thing, where you know the, the cast that we loved watching is, of course, the one we grew up with. But those older than us would say, "No, it was before that. The one you grew up with sucked." Right? I, you know, I don't think that's true about Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan and Jesse Ventura and even Jim Ross. And for me, Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler. I think I can flip back and go to the WWE Network and watch and. and you know, say without a doubt, those guys are great commentators. So who are your personal favorites? Yeah, I mean, I didn't grow up with this team, but in terms of what puts the biggest smile on my face and what is, I think, the formula done perfectly, it's got to be Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan. Um, Just their interplay. Both those guys are so smart. Bobby Heenan is outside of wrestling, just above, like, you know, just in terms of entertainers, I think is one of the wittiest and, and most entertaining um, personalities uh, of all time. I mean, he's he's so brilliant. 
I mean, I think him paired with Gorilla Monsoon, uh, the reason I don't say Jesse Ventura, who was also fantastic, is there's a nastiness there that, that you don't get in, in Heenan and, and Gorilla. With uh, Heenan and Gorilla, it was it was just fun. You know, it was just 100% fun. If you're going to go up and make it a little bit more tense, I think the tensest team that was really good was a, a short-lived pairing of Jim Ross and Paul Heyman uh, in the early 2000s. Man, you could just, I mean, obviously they're, they're, they're friends in real life and they know, have, had known each other for years, but the hatred that they had for each other on screen, it was nothing like that Jim Ross, Jerry Lawler pairing that was very popular, the Vince McMahon, Jerry Lawler pairing. I mean, it was just two guys that were stuck together and uh, were both extremely technically proficient, knew what they were doing, and knew how to tell a story and play their characters. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a pretty legendary pairing in there. I also think Jim Ross had a great short-term pairing with Jesse Ventura in WCW, uh, like 1991, 92, I think, era WCW. It was really good. Again, it was. Uh, there's nobody that plays offended better than Jim Ross, and there's nobody that offends better than, than Jesse Ventura. So uh, they had a really great um, uh, repartee as well. But, yeah, so I think those would kind of be my, my pairings. I mentioned Taz and Michael Cole are pretty good. Um, and, uh, I mean, going back to the single commentators, I I, I need to mention Mauro Ronaldo. I think he – I've only watched his SmackDown uh, announcing – or SmackDown episodes once or twice, and but he's really good. And uh, I, I don't think there's a, a better choice to just make him the voice of WWE, you know, if, if instead of grooming Byron Saxon, I think that Mauro needs to be the guy for an extended period of time. Uh, but we'll see if that ever happens. I totally agree with you. I think Mauro Ronaldo is definitely the future. And to me, he is he is a throwback in a way. And I know that he yeah. has an, a UFC MMA background, I believe, where he's a real sports broadcaster who's made this transition. And you know, it's been the case before. I mentioned like somebody like Tony Schiavone who has, has made the transition into mainstream sports. But you you think of a guy like Jonathan Coachman, who was a color commentator, who is is now at you know obviously I think before and after his stint with WWE was an ESPN anchor. So I, I like the blend and I like the people who have the background in sports and treat it like it's real sports. And so for me that's why Gorilla Monsoon is, is the best. And with all due respect to Jim Ross who is fantastic and you know has done plenty of sports on his own and is a guy who is steeped in sports knowledge and has a love for college football and calls boxing, but the gold standard for me is Gorilla Monsoon. The guy is just so good-natured, and, and it's just so good just in terms of pace and, and helping to tell a great story and, and a great contrast to the bad guys like Jesse Ventura and Bobby Heenan. My personal favorite pairing is Monsoon and Ventura. If you're going to take Heenan, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to take Jesse Ventura, who I think was just a phenomenal talent as a commentator and was just so quick-witted and you know, I know that today it's a little more apparent how scripted the the commentating is, and there have obviously been leaks in terms of the rules that and parameters that Vince McMahon and and his family have set out for the commentating teams, and, and how they follow that pretty closely to a T, and how annoying that can get, and how predictable the the calls are uh, pretty much on a weekly basis, and and that's sad, and that that makes for worse action in my opinion, and there are exceptions, and they do call good matches from time to time, but if you just go back and watch these little pay-per-views and old episodes of, of Raw, even if, if if it's Jim Ross or Vince McMahon on the call, 
there's just a different aura about it, and there's just a different cadence where they treat it as if, again, it's real sports. And I just don't think you get that now. And, and Gorilla Monsoon, what I always loved about him were, were the use of, of very specific, uh, <laughs> I, I guess, anatomically specific body parts where, yeah. where he would, instead of just saying somebody's back or their, their, their chest or their head, it's always the vertebrae or the cranium or the sternum or, or something even more specific than that. And the way he just inadvertently drops that was is always so so much fun to me, and it just you know brings such a different depth to it. And I think Ronaldo has definitely incorporated some of that into his commentary, which is an obvious tip of the cap to Gorilla Monsoon. But yeah, to me, when I go back, it's always fun, and again, it puts a smile on my face to hear Gorilla Monsoon and to see him standing next to either of his color commentary partners he to me he he is one of those guys who is just synonymous with wwf for that matter back when it was obviously called that and he, he's fantastic and again yes jim ross is great maro nala great I've, I've only heard bits and pieces of paul Heyman to be honest with you and i went back and watched a clip with him when jim ross during the attitude era when there was a, a Stone Cold Steve Austin Kurt Angle rivalry going on, yes, and there's yes. just this, this, like you said, the tension between the two it's of them. There's yeah. just this red hot exchange between the two of them, where they're cursing at each other, calling each other <laughs> idiots, and this is just this is on national television and right in front of live fans, and it ends with Jim Ross saying, "Kiss my ass," and goes <laughs> into the next segment, and it's just amazing. So. You know, I think I, to me those are the best. But there are also guys like uh, old wrestlers, you know, who who not only you know they're obviously great on the mic, you know, while they were active wrestlers, but as, as commentators they had so much talent. The two guys that spring to mind first is Roddy Piper, who is just probably better on the mic than he was in the ring, even though he could put on a great match. The guy just had just lightning in a bottle, raw nerve talent. And, and you just you put him in any situation, he's going to entertain you in front of a camera with a mic. And I think, you know, even though he, I don't necessarily think he was the best commentator, it was always so much fun to have Randy Savage, the macho yeah. man, uh, you know, in those early days of Raw. I think, what a, he, you know, what a strange decision. It was strange. Put him behind the mic. He has just one of the all-time great voices of oh, all yeah. time. So even if the commentary isn't up to snuff with some of these guys on the list, to hear Randy Savage's voice... For, you know, for any extended period of time, it's usually going to make a situation better. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned, again, going back to the, uh, the Ventura pick, the, I think the big difference between him and JBL is consistency. Oh, uh, yeah. That for, for years and years and years, Ventura's perspective on Hulk Hogan were so consistent. You know, like, and he he had he had everybody figured out and stuck with it. And there was no... There was no wavering, and he just he just knew who he was when he was in character, and there was no no straying from that. And I think that's that's what that's another thing that's kind of missing. I, I do also think uh, uh, currently Matt Stryker is pretty great. He called uh, Wrestle Kingdom Nine for New Japan, and he's the Lucha Underground guy. Unfortunately, he's paired with Vampiro, uh, who is quite possibly one of the worst wrestling announcers I've ever heard in my entire life. He's he's a, he's He's likable because he's so into what's going on in front of him, but uh, the way that he pairs words together is um, uh, is troubling. And uh, he's he's just not a great broadcaster, but uh, I can see why they want his personality on TV. But I think Matt Stryker is another one of those guys that 
I mean, there's certain there's certain things that he calls, like certain details that he calls out. That's like, I don't think the wrestlers are doing that at all. But man, you're doing such a good job making a case for the decision making of the match that you, you're actually making a bad match better. And and that's I think a talent. And I think he is a tremendous wrestling nerd. And I think that's who that's who you want behind the mic is somebody that, like you said, Mar Ronaldo is another example. Like these guys just love the uh, sport. Uh, of professional wrestling, and uh, and uh, and it comes across in, in their work. Yeah, it, I, to keep going back to Ventura, like you mentioned, the nastiness, and I think that's honestly what I love about him. Just sure. the nature of Ventura, he has an he has a line and an insult for everything the commentator says, and he just like you said, the consistency of taking up for the bad guy, no matter what. It's just what you depend on as a viewer, what you expect from him, and, and the way he trades insults, not even trades, just doles out gives insults them. on, on yeah. the nice guy, straight man that he's working with. Like, I watched a clip the other day where Tony Schiavone, in fact, did a, had a small stint in WWF, and he right. called a couple of pay-per-views, and he was paired with Ventura, and I, I can't even remember what Shivani said, but it was just something very, you know, just calm, and you know, there's nothing that called attention to itself, but it, you know, caused Jesse Ventura to say something like, "You, that's got to be the dumbest thing I've ever heard, Shivani. I mean, I thought Gorilla Monsoon was the biggest idiot I've ever met. You know, <laughs> just stuff like that is so good, and and you know." When he's when he's complaining about the referee being out of position, you know, to count one, two, three on a meaningless cover that would not have, you know, would not be the end of the match. You know, just calling out the ref, calling out the managers, making making fun of, you know, whatever element of the good guy storyline will play into, you know, his own persona as, as a commentator, and it will help drive the story. And he, it's not he didn't do it in a way that called too much attention to himself. He would never try to incorporate himself into the story. He was just doing his job as a commentator. Well, every now and then he would do that hilarious thing where he would talk about coming out of retirement uh, to take on Hogan because <laughs> he was so incensed. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like, and I mean him, him insulting Bob Uecker at WrestleMania 4 <laughs> where Bob Uecker is great, clearly super-duper drunk and like has nothing to go <laughs> Off of. <laughs> it's just Ventura tearing him apart. It's, oh, it's he's painful, like tearing apart his baseball career. His short Yeah, yeah, exactly. Career. He's like tearing him apart at a personal level. It's yeah. really bothersome, but it's hilarious. <laughs> and it's like, again, it's so much better than what you get on a weekly basis with, with somebody like JBL because there's no consistency. And, and at the end of the day, Jesse Ventura is correct <laughs> about everything he says. Yeah, you know what I always loved about Ventura? The one time he would sort of break character is if there was, like, a calm moment at WrestleMania and uh, Gorilla Monsoon would just say, hey, is there anything you want to say, Jesse? And he he would he would always shout out to these, what were, you know, then, as you watched it, random names to people in Minnesota, which I would have to assume would be his family members watching from Minnesota. So for, like, a split second, it's like, oh, well, there's a there's a nice, genuine moment from, from Jesse Ventura, but then he would go back into just the nastiness, and it was so good. So yeah, for me, he's he's probably the all-time color commentary guy, and Heenan is just a close second. The guy just is he, the guy's brilliant yeah. at everything he did. He was the total package. I mean, if he if he wasn't on commentary and we had Jesse there, then we had the best of both worlds because we had Heenan as a manager, whether he was cutting a promo or he was just telling stories outside the ring during big matches. 
Yeah, yeah, Heenan was just perfect. Uh, there's, there's that little moment from WrestleMania Seven, I think, before uh, Ultimate Warrior versus Macho Man, where uh, Gorilla is like taking it to the next match, and Heenan is just like staring off camera, and you kind of just think he's zoned out, and they're like, and you're like, why aren't they cutting away from this? <laughs> it looks embarrassed, embarrassing. Uh, but then you realize that he spotted Elizabeth in the crowd. And he starts freaking out and pointing at her, and then and it cuts to her. And it's just little stuff like that where, I don't know, like he, he could have played that a, a billion different ways, and he was so devoted to that story that he um, uh, he just played it perfectly. And, and yeah, his, the energy that he brought to his outrage and, and his uh, uh, humiliation, you know, that was basically the, the, uh, the end of every arc that Heenan had was just, a total humiliation, uh, and the way he played that through his voice was, was just incredible. Yeah, and Heenan would always insult the intelligence of good guys, and would, I thought that was always a great thing that he had in his back pocket. The bad guy commentators would always play to sort of the, the stereotypical roles and in, in, in characteristics of good guys and bad guys in the ring, where good guys were too optimistic and were naive, whereas bad guys had to use their wits if they couldn't, you know, physically match up with the good guys in the ring. Heenan was so great at exploiting that, I thought. And he he, he was also really good at trading the insults with Gorilla Monster. <laughs> he was just he would just call fans ugly. Uh, he would come up with ways to call people ugly. And he was like one of those things that in the in the day of, of the WWE universe where every you know, every fan is, is needs to be needs to feel empowered and all this stuff that there's no way that they would ever just have Byron Saxton talk about how ugly somebody is when they cut to the crowd. <laughs> it's just great. I think Lawler was was honestly uh I think he was good at that too, to an extent. Yeah. yeah. And during the, the McMahon era and the, the, the Jim Ross years, the early days of, of Raw oh, and the, before, the, the, before the, he started wearing Ed Hardy T shirts. <laughs> oh good. The the um Lawler talking about Stu Hart and Martha Hart is uh, is some of the most cruel cruel stuff you'll ever see on television. But it's all very funny. Yeah, I think where where Lawler went downhill was during that Jr. stint uh, when they started increasing the sexuality of everything and, and yeah. started freaking out about every every woman on screen and setting sexual politics back. Well, probably pre Stone Age. It was. It's pretty bad. Um, it's really, and his voice just hit. His voice hits tenors that, or hits pitches for me that it makes me want to hurt. No, me. I totally agree. And look, it's all a reflection of Vince McMahon, right? I mean, he wouldn't yep. be doing that unless Vince wanted him to. And and all of these, you know, into Vince's credit, you know, Gorilla Monsoon's the same thing. Jesse Ventura, Bobby Heenan, they're reflections of of you know what he wanted for the company too. So. There are pros and cons to the, the, the commentary selections that he's made over the years, but I think for the most part there have been really talented broadcasters who have, have always brought a lot to the table, and you know, I'm sure the wrestlers probably feel the same way. I know Stone Cold has made requests in the past for Jim Ross to call big matches for him, so I like to see the respect between the, the commentators and, and performers uh, you know, at, at his level and you know, I hope we see that in the future. I, I hope that there's a bright future for commentary. Mar- hiring a guy like Mauro Ranallo tells me that there probably is. Now that you've got him, we, let, let's focus on the color commentary and let's let's get the next Ventura, the next Bobby Heenan, instead of just this, this blandness that we're stuck with right now because 
I mean, maybe maybe Vince feels the same way to an extent. I mean, you know, obviously there, the PG era would come to an end if that was true, and, and Michael Cole would be out the door, Byron Saxon would be out the door. But I think, you know, hiring a guy like Mauro Ranallo and, and reverting Lawler back to his bad guy tactics might tell you that we're ushering in a, a new era of commentary, and maybe this is the future where we reach back into the past. Do you think that that is on the horizon, or do you think they stick to the stick with sort of the bland formula that we've had for so many years now? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like on the main shows, the the, the signs are that now they're going to kind of keep doing this. Like they like you said, they may swap out a few pieces, but it seems like they need as many voices shilling all the different features of the network and, and WWE on a whole that they can get. And um, I, that that probably yields some sort of results. Uh, and you not, not only have Vince McMahon, you also have Kevin Dunn, who's the longtime kind of director uh, behind the scenes of everything. So he has um, his opinions on what works and what doesn't. And I feel like it'll probably be more kind of cookie-cutter um, uh, Michael Cole types uh, paired with good company guys um, like JBL uh, going forward. I remember a few years ago I heard an interview with Scott Hall where he talked about he, he was kind of campaigning to, to get on TV as, as a color commentator, and that that seems like a great idea. You know, what a, what a great voice and what a great bad guy, literally the bad guy, um, to have him kind of step into that Jerry Lawler role. Um, so there, I think there are plenty of people that could fill that role that I'd, I'd be excited to see. I just don't know if they would ever actually follow through with it, especially considering Scott Hall's extracurricular activities. Yeah, he would be really good. But there, to me, there are three guys on the current roster right now who are amazing talkers and would be amazing as color commentators, whether they were good guys or well, really, if they were bad guys, because I just have always loved the bad guy color commentator. Xavier Woods would be fantastic. I think The Miz would be fantastic. And I think Enzo Amore, in some role on the mic, whether he's a manager for somebody or a color commentator, he would be terrific. And, you know, we've actually gotten a, a, a firsthand preview of what Kevin Owens would be like as a commentator, where he's taken these breaks and, and you know, pulled up a chair with those guys and has done some really terrific work. So I should say four guys on the current roster. So I really hope those guys have futures at the desk there because they, I think they would be really, really good contrast to a straight man play by play guy, no matter who it was. Yeah. I think, I think today they should fire JBL and put the Miz in that chair because again, he's, he's got the consistency of character and he's had a pretty solid run and I don't think he's going to give us anything in the ring that we're going to miss. To a lesser degree, you could say that about Xavier Woods as well. Like he's not I don't think Xavier Woods is going to be pulling out five star classics anytime soon. Kevin Owens, I, I, I don't want that because he does deliver in the ring and he is one of their best guys right now in the ring and I don't want to see him change that for a very, very long time. But again, Enzo Amore is, is an interesting choice because he's been he's he's been kinda of injury prone and he's a smaller guy and, and you kinda of wonder, um, Maybe it'd be better for him in general to, you know, for his health uh, to to be more of a vocal uh, presence, considering he's great at that. The only thing is he he's so good at at talking smack that you kind of want him at least to be somebody's manager to yeah, get somebody into position. Manager. Yeah, exactly. I think I think that'd be great, or or put together a little stable, you know, of, of guys that 
deliver the cash the checks that that Enzo writes with his mouth. Uh, I think that would be kind of neat. So maybe the future is bright for WWE commentary. As with everything else, it's up to them to to mold the excellent raw talent that they have at their disposal. Whether they'll do it in an intelligent way is totally up to them. All right, Ben Starr, up in Huntsville. Thanks for talking this out with me. Thank you. Rammer Slammer is produced and edited by Ben Flanagan for the Alabama Media Group and AL.com. Find us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Rammer Slammer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>